going to start off our class with a, <clears throat> forgive me first off, if I don't enunciate or loud or talk very loudly, like I said, I'm losing my voice, but, <clears throat> excuse me, let's start off uh, by opening with a word of prayer. Uh, dear God, we come before you today and want to thank you for this wonderful Lord's Day of worship and bringing us all together. Uh, I ask that you, uh, right now, just bless the teaching of your word and help me uh, get through it and heal my voice. I ask that you uh, guide what, guide my words. I ask that you uh, help me handle your word rightly, Lord. <clears throat> bless those who hear today. Amen. So, uh, <clears throat> in the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, the nature of the atonement. We talked about, you know, um, <clears throat> the, the necessity of the atonement. We talked about, you know, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So, uh, last week, can we, let's kind of do a recap. What did we talk about last week? Prophecy. <laughs> yeah, we did. We talked about how uh, the Old Testament, you right, foreshadowed Christ, right? <clears throat> and uh, so now we're going to get into the uh, the nature of the perfection of the atonement, and we're going to talk about the extent of the atonement as well. So <clears throat> when we talk about the perfection of the atonement, thank you, I appreciate it, Pastor Rick. <clears throat> so when we talk about the perfection of the atonement, we're talking about uh, the uniqueness the efficacy and the finality of the atonement. So those four things is uh, essentially what Murray talks about in uh, in his book. <clears throat> when we talk about the uniqueness, <clears throat> the uniqueness of the atonement of Christ, we're talking about how Jesus, right? Jesus Himself, the Son of God, atoned for us Himself. So you know, men can't atone for sin, right? Because if you take a look at the uh, <clears throat> The Heidelberg that we have in here <coughs> points it out <coughs> in specifically way back in one of the Lord's days. Here, got to find it in this book. I was here. We go. I'll just use my app for it, but. <coughs> Sorry for being slow here. <clears throat> uh, basically, what the Heidelberg asks is, why does why does God have to uh, atone for men's sins? It basically says because um, a created being cannot atone for you know cannot fully suffer the wrath of God and deliver others from it. And it says, why does he have to be God? Well, because only God can deliver <clears throat> can deliver mankind from sins. Um, <coughs> specifically, though, I want to go into uh, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 7:26, and we can talk about uh, the uniqueness of Christ's atonement out of the scriptures, which is kind of my aim here. <coughs> Say Hebrews seven twenty six. Yeah, Hebrews seven twenty six. 
if you read it, it says, uh, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let's just start out with 26 to 27. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. What, is, what kind of what, what, what does that tell us about Christ there? <clears throat> well, he was he was not a sinner. He didn't sin. He was holy and mm-hmm. innocent. So he would have been um, like the Old Testament spotless lamb without blemish. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Christ offering himself was a something that only he could do, right? Because by his own by his own unique nature of being sinless. <clears throat> so he didn't have to, you know, like the Old Testament, you know, forgive, you know, make a sacrifice for his own sins before he could offer, uh, you know, hey God, you know, I come to you now and forgive all the rest of the nation of Israel's sins. So it's unique in that factor. <clears throat> and when we talk about the, now moving into the efficacy of Christ's atonement, right? Um, <clears throat> I, I, I touched upon this in my last, you know, when we talked about the sufficiency of the atonement, we talked about propitiation, we talked about that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> but the main focus of efficacy is that Christ's atonement is effective enough and adequate enough to purge our sins, right? To accomplish redemption for us, you know, because Christ is the propitiation for our sins. There's that word again, propitiation. Um, <clears throat> he fulfilled all righteousness, right, by being perfect himself. And it wasn't just a a token obedience where, you know, he's like, all right, well, I obeyed this much for you. Now it's left to you to obey X, Y, and Z and do this. It's a complete, perfect, uh, a complete, perfect obedience that is credited to our account. <clears throat> and the scriptures say that God, had the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all, right? <clears throat> but I just kind of, <clears throat> I want to go through, uh, some scriptures about that first off uh, in Hebrews 1 3 right when we talk about r- ridding ourselves uh, purging our sins when it says Christ I can't say the word efficacy yeah kind of get some tongue tied right there right um, when Christ purged our sins it says in Hebrews 1 3 he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. <clears throat> and then uh, if you talk about Romans 5.10, For while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? <clears throat> so Christ's death on the cross is uh, perfect enough to remove you know, remove the stain of our sins from us so we can stand in front of God and say, you know, 
here we are, God, send us forward as your people. They can, we can stand in front of God and say, here we are to, you know, to, to not to, uh, <clears throat> to, to do what you ask of us in, you know, in the light of, uh, in the light of having been made clean, we, we obey you because we love you and we want to please you. We want to do what you have called us to do. <clears throat> not as a means of keeping here, you know, obtaining salvation, but because it's, you know, it's what we owe you out of, you know, hey, you know, we love you, we, we want to serve you. <coughs> um, when we talk about Christ accomplishing redemption, I'm going to go to uh, Hebrews 9.12. If you notice, I'm in the book of Hebrews a lot. <clears throat> and I like it because the book of Hebrews kind of if you know the Old Testament well, it's kind of awesome how it can show you, you know, wow, that, that's, that makes sense now, you know. Kind of, it's kind of a key to the Old Testament a little bit. Hebrews what? Hebrews 9.12. And uh, I'm going to start at verse 11, though, just so we can kind of get some context for verse 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come... Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. If you go to verse 13, it says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. <clears throat> so first off, <clears throat> what is <clears throat> what is he, what does it mean in uh in that uh hold on sorry I gotta go back there. <clears throat> he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. <clears throat> by means of his own blood, right? He uh, <clears throat> he secured for us eternal redemption by, you know, it's accomplished, right? We don't have anything left to do. And it goes on in verse 13, but it says, you know, <clears throat> how much more, or verse 13 and 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We don't have to go to uh, to a temple on a certain day. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to go to the Day of Atonement and offer up a, a ram or a bull or a, or anything like that because our redemption is accomplished. It's been it's been given in Christ's blood. It's been satisfied. The wrath of God is due us and our sin is covered by Christ's blood, and so Christ mediates it for us. Yeah, it is interesting. The you know the the blood of animals. In, in one sense was a picture of what Christ would do but it really didn't accomplish anything mm-hmm. you know I mean I, I just think of, of verse 14 you said that the blood that he gives you know the blood that he his own blood that he offered purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God that there's a there, there's, there's power that mm-hmm. is there there's something that's actually accomplished there it's a change that's actually made mm-hmm. you know, it's so it's permanent. Yeah. Right? It's it's not gonna, you know, wear off with time, which I think are, you know, things that you do, which I think is pretty freeing, right? 
it's something that you can be like, wow. I, I sit down and I think about it sometimes. Like it's, you know, I'm, it's like a permanent marker, right? Only if you write on yourself, you know, it's you can't really get it off. It takes time to uh, to get it off of your skin. Except this permanent marker is is never going to wash off, which <laughs> kind of a lame analogy, but. <laughs> <clears throat> and so going back to talking about propitiation like we talked about in uh <clears throat> in our last talk well the last one that I did um <clears throat> Christ is the per- Christ's blood is a propitiation for our sins right if you go to 1 John 2 2 My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if you go on to verse, yep, that's verse 1, go to verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. That's kind of getting into the extent of the atonement there, so I won't cover that. But let's start to talk about the first thing, propitiation for our sins. <clears throat> when we talked about propitiation, it's a... It's a satisfaction of the wrath of God, right? We talked about how uh, uh, propitiation—it's—it's it's a, it's a freedom from sin. It's you know, hey, you know, your your debt is paid, and then I were free from the power of sin to live unto God. Um. <clears throat> so, uh, <clears throat> but here I, I find the book of First John is pretty great, right? Because in the same chapter, right, it says. Uh, <clears throat> If you go on further into First John, uh, sorry, I gotta find First uh, John one. Sorry, hold on, I gotta find it here. <clears throat> there we go. Um, <clears throat> First John it says uh, if we have a if we sin we have an advocate with the Father. Um, <clears throat> so the book of First John is talking about. One sec here. Let me, let me actually read the verse here, so that way I can. Would it be one seven? That he cleans the blood of Jesus. He cleanses the whole sin. Yes. There we go. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. And also 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Well, what does that mean, though? So we have an advocate with the Father, right? We have a, a mediator, someone who can, you know, a mediator or an advocate is somebody who speaks on our behalf, right? We don't have the, you know, since we, since we're sinners under the wrath of God, we don't have the ability to go to God and be like, hey, can we talk about our case? Can we, you know, can we do this? And you know, because you know, we're we're without the blood of Christ, we're we're covered in sin, and God can't look upon sin. <clears throat> but. The book of First John here is talking about how even as believers, right, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, somebody who has paid our debt. So now we can, you know, be like, hey, we're covered by 
by Christ's righteousness, by his active obedience, by his passive obedience on the cross. We're covered by his blood so we can be like, hey, this, this one, this, this perfect sacrifice speaks for us and so we can come to God and say, hey, um, we sin, forgive us. <coughs> so, <coughs> man, having some difficulty here. So Christ's, so, <coughs> so in the perfection of the atonement, Christ's sacrifice is unique. It's a, it's efficacious, right? It, it works. It's, it cleanses our sins. It purges our sins. Um, it obtains eternal redemption for us. And, and it ensures that, you know, we'll see eternal life. So, <clears throat> that's part of, that's the last part, finality, right? Because of Christ's death on the cross, we will stand before God on the last day. He will say, you know, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter now to the joy of the Lord. <clears throat> and... <clears throat> That's John. Let's, let's go to John six thirty nine, just to make that point about the finality of uh, of the atonement. <clears throat> and this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will, going into verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. The words there are kind of our, our promise, right? They're, they're, you know, <clears throat> they're the very words of Jesus. He says, uh, It's the will of Him who sent me, that I would lose nothing of, of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So it's the Father's will that all who, who are who believe in on Jesus Christ will have eternal life, right? It's it's a guarantee. It's like the it's like the golden chain of redemption, right? Those God has justified, He will glorify, and those He or He will sanctify, and those He sanctifies, He will glorify. It's a if if you're part of the elect, if you're if you're if you're if you're a believer, if you believe on God, on on, on you, know, if you trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be raised up on the last day. There's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. <coughs> so, <coughs> those are the very those are, those are the th three things about the perfection of Christ's atonement. It's unique, it's efficacious, and it's final. <coughs> but, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> what other things, though, about the atonement can we think of that are perfect? kind of things that, uh, that kind of we, we may miss in talking about about the perfection of Christ's atonement. Mm. My thing is that uh, is I, I like I said like I like the book of Hebrews because you know, sometimes when you do your Bible reading, and you, you know, I've said this before, if you like, if you do your Bible reading, and it's like, man, I hit the book of Leviticus, and I'm going on about, you know, about the temple offering and how they're supposed to do it, and how this is supposed to happen, and how you're supposed to construct the tabernacle, and say, hey, it's, uh, you know, the tent is supposed to be this many cubits by that many cubits. Well, you can see that God, in His perfect wisdom, said, hey, uh, you know, 
all of this has a reason. Every single, you know, you know, every single instruction here is designed to point forward towards something, you know, later on in the New Testament. And so when we talk about, you know, the sin, you know, we talk about the, the spotless lamb, that's a, that's a that's pointing forward to Hebrews, right? Where it says, you know, where we just talked about in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 7, uh, 7.26, right? Where it says that, you know, verse 7.27, he has no, Hebrews 7.27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself, Right? He doesn't need to sacrifice and you know make sacrifices like you know the Old Testament priest does because he is the perfect sacrifice. And I think that's something kind of we can kind of lose when we kind of think about it sometimes. It's really really heady stuff, but I like it. It's also really comforting though too, knowing that when Christ says that you know when we believe on Christ, when we when the blood of Christ is applied to us. It's it's a promise that we're not going to be lost. It's a promise that there's you know it's finished. It's you know like like Christ said on the on the cross. It is finished. There's nothing left for you to do. It's it's final. It's efficacious. And there you go. <coughs> Which you know mm-hmm. I mean you, you think about it um, with the high priest or the priest that offered the sacrifices. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of frailty there. Mm-hmm. You know that. That they are sinners too, as well, so they have to make sacrifice for their sins. But mm-hmm. also, there's a, a frailty in the the sacrifice. I mean, even though it's a sacrifice without blemish, spot or blemish, you know, or mm-hmm. anything like that, there's a sense in which it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take away our sin. Those sacrifices have to be made over and over and over and over. So, you know, we we just think about Christ's death on the cross taking away our sins once and for all. As like we just say that it just rolls off our tongues, but to to a Jewish believer, that would have been odd or unusual that you would do away with the the sacrificial system, you know, because Christ's sacrifice was so powerful. But it would have been good news. But I think we also wrestle with that as well, even as believers. You know, we say that that Christ's sacrifice paid for our sins once for all, but we still. Are tempted by Satan to wallow in our sins, to be fretful, to, to, to sometimes even for some to be fearful that are they saved, you know, and things like that. That you know we don't really truly grasp maybe the depth of the power of that sacrifice that Christ has made. So it's it's a good words to to remember. Definitely. I'll, I'll admit myself. Sometimes I struggle. I'm like, man, you know, especially when I'm, you know, when I look back, like, man, I had a terrible week. You know, I, I said something I shouldn't have said, or you know, I was angry when I shouldn't have been. I was unreasonably angry. Or I was, you know, <clears throat> I doubted this, or I doubted that. You know, you know, am I really, you know, did I really do that? Or you know, you get really in your feelings, and you can say, man, I, I messed up here, I messed up there. You know, how can I? How can this truly cover me? But it's you know it's really it's not really temptation. It's we have to go to God's word and say, well, what does God's word say about about this? What does what does God's word say about you know Christ and our mediator? And it's really something that you gotta you gotta look outside into the scriptures, and it's really it's really refreshing to do. It's something that you don't have to be like, all right, I gotta I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do that. It's really 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 unique. <coughs> <coughs> So <clears throat> we're going to move into the uh, the extent of the atonement, and the big question is, for whom did Christ die, right? 
So the extent of the atonement. First off, <coughs> excuse me. It's a big question, though, right? For whom did Christ die? Well, if you go to John 3:16, right? The most favorite, well-known verse of every single person, I think. <coughs> you see it at football games in the end zone. Everybody knows it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's 17. <coughs> Who's the world there, though? That's the question. <clears throat> so, when we say the world there, does that mean that uh, that all the sins of the world are forgiven there? Or does that mean that, what, what do we think that, about that? All the sins of the world are forgiven, then everybody's going to hell. Exactly. <laughs> but we know that can't be the case, right? Yeah, but if you read First John two two, it says he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Exactly. So what what, what do we get when we mean world there? Well, <clears throat> first off, <clears throat> well, first off, we can say that you know, people that aren't believers get benefit out of the sacrifice of Christ, right? Um. Well, what kind of benefits would they get though? we say common grace things like you know evil being restrained um, can we say things like you know the, the sun rises each day that kind of thing <coughs> but so we can say that the gospel is proclaimed freely you know without distinction to every person right everybody can hear the gospel there's a general call that God calls everybody to repent and believe the gospel it isn't, well, I don't know, let me see your elect card. Are you, hold on, can I see your ID real quick? There's none of that. It's, the gospel goes out to everybody. But <clears throat> only, the gospel is only um, effective for those who will believe, those who, <coughs> excuse me, the elect, if you will. Um, so Jesus, the big thing here is that Jesus didn't come to make salvation possible. He came to make it, like we said, final. He came to make it, Actual, he came to make it an express, you know, an express thing. Here, he didn't come to make men savable; he came to save people. And uh, if you go to Luke, <clears throat> I think it's Luke 19:10. Um, <clears throat> we'll, we'll see how uh, <clears throat> how Jesus didn't come to make men savable, but he came to actually save people, a people for himself. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Right? And he says in verse 9 And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. So first off, there were, that, that whole chapter is talking about you know, Jesus and Zacchaeus and talking about the tax collector who, you know, who cheated people, defrauded people. <clears throat> At the end of though, he says he, he came to seek and save the lost. He's, uh, so we're lost, right? So, okay, so there we go. Um, but if you go to Matthew 121, though, it's kind of bearing, it's going through the same point. <clears throat> I 
Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the question is, who are God's people? So, if you read that, though, it, it implies a certainty, right? It says, he shall save his people from their sins. There's no question about it. He will. So the question is, who are God's people? <clears throat> and if we go back to John 3.16, right? <clears throat> it says, uh, the purpose of giving, you know, really the purpose of giving Jesus the, the only begotten son is that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's also certain too. So whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. And so, when we talk about uh, about God's people, right, when we can't say that it is the unsaved. Why? Because, well, let's go to Romans 8 and talk about that. I'm going to stay in Romans 8 for a while, so don't worry. I promise I'm done jumping around. <laughs> Starting at verse 32. Well, actually, I want to start at verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or sword, or nakedness, or danger? So, <clears throat> there's a bunch of promises in there, right? There's a bunch of things that Christians enjoy, right? Namely, in verse 33, justification, right? God who justifies. Well, are the unsaved justified? Well, no, they're not. So they can't enjoy the benefit, uh, the benefit of peace with God through justification and the cleansing of their sins. So are the, and it says in verse 34, uh, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, right? Who is, you know, <clears throat> more than that, who is raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Does Christ intercede for the unbeliever? Well, no, he doesn't. <clears throat> and then in verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword right so we participate in the love of Christ right well the unsaved don't do that either because <coughs> excuse me the the, uh, the unsaved you know they aren't covered by Christ's blood he doesn't intercede for them and you know it says in Romans that they're uh, that they're further on and later on in this in, in the book of Romans that you know they uh, they're blind and they're they're dead you know in the book of Ephesians too they're dead in their trespasses and sins um, they love to walk in their sins right it says that they say you know if you go back into the book of Psalms they say who is Lord over us. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. But, <coughs> <coughs> excuse me. It seems kind of basic though, right? Like, 
you know, well, God can't, you know, God, you know, everybody can't be saved, right? But some people do, you know, like we were talking about universalism, right? Some people do say, oh, well, you know, if you go back and say, well, if you go into First John 2, 2, um, you know, God is saving everybody. So, you know, loving God, what's, you know, how could a loving God send people to hell, right? It says he wants everybody to be saved, and it says that he did save everybody. So what kind of what kind of scripture could you appeal to to say, well, um, not everybody is, gonna, is, is covered by the blood of Christ? And that main point that we're for. Where can we say that uh, <clears throat> unbelievers aren't justified like we made, like that point we made? I mean, I think this, you know, this passage here, Romans 8, is, is just, just great for this because mm-hmm. it's like, I think so many people, they look at this passage and, you know, they're, they're not really coming to it with this question in mind, but they see these benefits and they say, oh, these are the benefits that people who trust in Christ mm-hmm. receive. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they don't see is how it's tied to and it's grounded on the basis of Christ's death for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, it, that really seems to be the case. It's like, yeah, we'll, we'll never be separated from the love of Christ. We're, we're justified. Mm-hmm. Um, we have all these things because Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this assurance that's, that's presented here where it's like, Christ died for you, therefore you have no fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you kind of have to like flip it around and you know and ask that question mm-hmm. and it's like well how does this relate to um, you know for whom Christ died did did he die for everybody or did he not well if he died for everybody mm-hmm. and we follow the logic that Paul gives us in Romans eight yeah. then I mean it it has to lead to universal salvation exactly uh, the the only way you can read this passage <coughs> that doesn't lead to universal salvation is to say that Christ only died for a subset of humanity, for the people exactly. who eventually will be saved. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, you can take the point. Well, in Genesis 6.13, right, when it says, the end of all flesh has come before me, right? Well, if we take that, you know, that means, well, if we say all means all, well, then that means all flesh is gone. Okay, then what are we doing here? Right, that kind of turns everything on its head, and I think that's also an interesting point, you know, that you made. <clears throat> it says, "Who shall separate us?" You know, at the very last end, to it ends with, you know, verse thirty-five: "Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword?" And it kind of reminds me; it goes back to the Old Testament. You know, who some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we trust in the Lord. You know, in the Lord our God. So that's kind of an interesting kind of parallel there too, you know. Unbelievers maybe content, you know, they tend to trust in, well, um, I've got a lot of money, so I can pay, I can buy my way out of this. Or, hey, uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, there's a, you know, in order to uh, to make myself comfortable, you know, I can legislate myself into into a position of comfort, right? But. You know, we you know even when bad things happen to Christians, we can say, well, nothing is going to separate us from the love of God because He holds us in His hand. He He sovereignly directs all things. <coughs> Excuse me. 
know anybody. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I'm gonna go grab some water real quick. Oh here, okay. <coughs> this week. <laughs> so I'm kind of losing my voice. <clears throat> Thank you. Sure. <clears throat> I'm kind of trying to avoid taking this into like the standard route too though. Um, the whole uh, Armenian versus Calvinism thing. I kind of want to avoid that because that's I don't know. Should I? Should I go into that? I don't think I will. <laughs> so I want to take this time though. Does anybody? I don't know. Is this like the last? Is this the last one that we're doing? The last study, or do you have another no, one? We still have another three one. Three more, I think. Three more. Okay, good. <coughs> I did want to take some questions though about um, where we, how we've been up through up to this point. Anybody has any questions or wants to talk about anything before we kind of go through the last three ones? If anybody has any points they want to bring up or discussion. Well, um, mm-hmm. I I want to go back to that. First uh, John two two that I was talking about as far as yeah. you know where it says that um, let me just find it where it says that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. I think I think it's so easy to to read that to think then that that Christ is a propitiation for the sins of every single person in the mm-hmm. world, but the reality is is that as John is writing this, he's saying that he's not only for for our sins as mm-hmm. John and those that he's writing to, mm-hmm. but he but that that the gospel is for all the nations as well. So that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily uh, imply that it's for every single person. Yeah. That you know is is alive. So, but oftentimes that's how people will will take that verse. Exactly. You know, but if you let Scripture interpret Scripture, you find that other places in Scripture, like the ones we covered mm-hmm. today, show otherwise. So, I didn't want to leave that hanging out there. No, like, no. Yeah. you know, I raised this problem, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna say I'll build on that a little bit. Um, it's it's interesting because it does seem like a lot of times. People will see the word world, like in mm-hmm. 1 John 2, 2, or in John 3, 16, mm-hmm. and they will assume that the, wor- the word world means all individuals who have ever lived. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but anybody who assumes that, they haven't ever actually like studied the word world in Scripture, because mm-hmm. you can go through, and somebody's like added it up just for just for John, his writings, the Gospel of John, and the Book of Revelation, and, the, and his letters. Um, <coughs> And have come up with like ten to twelve different definitions for world. Mm-hmm. You know, and you and you have to look at the context. Mm-hmm. And there's there's places where it just can't mean every individual who's ever lived. In fact, I mean, you just look. Um, I think it's just right down here. 
um, later in First John two, verse uh, fifteen. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so, I mean, we can't take that as meaning every individual who's ever lived, because it's like well, we are commanded to love everyone, including our enemies. Yeah. So, I mean, that's everybody. Exactly. Um, but now John's saying, don't love the world. Well, he has to have a different meaning, and obviously, he's he's talking about this world system, the the principles of this age, mm-hmm. is the way he's using the word world there. Yeah. You know, and if you just go through, you know, the Bible as a whole, but I mean, you know, just even John's writings you'll see that the word world is used in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. So you can't just come at a text with an assumption that that's what it means. You have, you have to look at the context and ask yourself the question, how is that word being used in this particular place? And it seems to me that most of the times when speaking of salvation, it refers to the world, it's speaking of the fact that it's not just the Jews anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's Jews and Gentiles. Because that was something that was so radical. And it's, but it's something that, uh, uh, like Paul, for example, talked about all the time that he needs the salvations for the Gentiles, right. not just for the Jews. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think it's actually like in John chapter four, where Jesus is talking to the Samaritans, yeah. and so he's like for the first time like been discussing things with people who are not Jews, and that's where they call him the Savior of the world. And I think that's the you know that's the implication there. It's like he's not just the savior of the Jews; he's the savior of the world. If you come at if the, that that type of a type of grid, if you come at it, you know come out another other verses with it, it kind of distorts the meaning of certain verses too, right? So when you say uh, if, if when Paul says you know all things are lawful, you know um, all, all things are lawful, and to me, does that mean he can do whatever he wants? Like, can he just be like, all right, man, sweet. Can he just, well, no, he can't, because then later in Romans he says, you know, hey, if you say that you can do whatever you want, you can live however you want, well, then you don't understand the gospel. So then right there you've introduced something sort of a contradiction in Scripture which doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the word the word all is, is like the word world. You have to look at the context yeah. to see what it means, because there's so many places where if you take all of it, <coughs> mean everyone without exception, then it just mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. Exactly. <coughs> um, I just wanted to bring up, sec- I was, while we were talking about this, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. <clears throat> so the all there for whom Christ died, you know, <clears throat> it's kind of a fun thing, right? So in, in talking about that, the all for whom Christ died, uh, <coughs> It's talking about us, you know, those who, who Christ died for don't live for ourselves anymore, we live for him. And so we can't really say that about, you know, if Christ died for all men, 
well, that kind of introduces kind of a, it's contrary to just you know like how we how we see the world, right? Uh, and if you think about in Paul's teaching to die with Christ, right? When he says he's been you know to die with Christ means that you're dead to sin. And you know you, when you when you're baptized, he says you know you've been you've been baptized out of sin. You've been you, know, you've been, you put sin to death. <clears throat> so that would mean if you know hey if if Christ died for all people without exception, then you would have to say that you know everybody is essentially dead to sin. Well, then that would lead to essentially Pelagianism. Well, people choose to sin because reasons, or you know, you can go into reasons there. So. <clears throat> yeah. So the the all here mm-hmm. uh, that that he died for is is the all who died with him. Yeah. You know, it's not every single person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <coughs> <clears throat> but. You mentioned earlier um, that uh, that Christ came to save people, not mm-hmm. to make them savable. Mm-hmm. Can you expand on what you mean by that? Yeah, um, what I meant by that is it wasn't a, a hypothetical, you know, Christ died so that you could have the opportunity to, you know, so you could have the opportunity to, uh, to, to, how do I put it? Um, yeah, to make that decision, essentially. Yeah. So he didn't come so that you could possibly have the chance to be saved. He came so that you could, you know, he came to save a definite people for himself. He came to take people's names to the cross, as it will. So what? how would that affect our view of what Christ did, mm-hmm. depending on whether we have a view that Christ died for a particular people mm-hmm. um, versus he died to make salvation available for everybody. What does that what would that do to our view of what Christ did? Um <clears throat> I think it well my well the way I view it is this. Um, <clears throat> it's <laughs> the view of what Christ did is it's a uh, it's a definite thing it's not like a, so for example um, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this sorry I wasn't trying to I wasn't trying no, to stump you no you're good I like it <laughs> well, don't you think in, in one sense if, if Christ came to die for Everybody to have the possibility mm-hmm. of salvation, then then that means that it is my decision that determines whether I'm in Christ or not. So yeah. therefore, mm-hmm. if it was my decision that connects me to Christ, then it could it not be my decision to lose that salvation or mm-hmm. to you know I'm I'm no longer secure because exactly. it's made upon my decision and. If I really know my own heart, mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty fickle, and I'm not very steadfast or faithful, and so that that just leaves a lot of doubt and a lot of worry, I would think, in the Christian life. Yeah. But if Christ actually accomplished that salvation, mm-hmm. then it's not based on what I did, but it's based on what He did and what He actually actually purchased and accomplished. So therefore, I am steadfast. So even as I my heart goes wayward or I wrestle with temptation and sin. You know, I know 
that it's not so much about me holding on to him, but him holding on to me. Yeah. And so there's a lot more um, peace mm-hmm. and, and the ability to rest, and, and even thankfulness to God. Mm-hmm. You know, especially you know in light of my sin, it might drive might drive me to you know grieve over my sin, but I also can rejoice that he's greater than my sin. Yeah. I kind of think of it this way. Um, trying to. In phrasing it, um, I think a hypothetical kind of, you know, Christ died to make men saved thing puts too much onus on human beings, like you were saying, right? So if people, um, what does that say about those who, who um, made, essentially, I don't like this word, made the decision for Christ, right? Does it mean you're somehow better than some people, or you're smarter, or what, what is that, what, what are you saying about yourself, that you're just a... You know, you're you're better than all those. It, it kind of leaves room for, um, yeah, self righteousness. It leaves rooms for you know, I well, I do all these things, and all these people are over there, you know, because you know, it, it kind of makes room for that. I think that kind of makes it elevates man over over God. You know, one thing I think of in in relation to that is it it seems to like all the stuff we've talked about with the atonement over the last several weeks, it seems to strip all that stuff away. Mm-hmm. Um, because if if Christ just died to put us in a situation where we can be saved, mm-hmm. then he didn't really substitute for us. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he, he can become our substitute if we do the right thing, yeah. but he didn't really substitute for us. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't really propitiate the wrath of God. I mean, he didn't. The, the wrath of God still exists on people he died for. Yeah. If they never come to faith, mm-hmm. um, so he didn't actually turn away the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't actually reconcile us to God. Uh, I mean, there's there's all these aspects. Um, he didn't actually redeem us. He he didn't actually triumph over Satan in our case. The, all these things just lose all of their all of their potency, all yep. of their power. If Christ just died to put us in a state where if we do the right thing, um, then we can be saved. But if Christ actually <coughs> accomplished our salvation, if the atonement was was absolutely perfect and final and efficacious, then all of these things are true in all of their glory for every single person he died for. And it all of the onus rests on him. It's his great work that was accomplished. Uh, so that's, I don't know, to me that's like, this is like night and day. It's like, which, which of these sounds better, you know? Yeah. Uh, obviously it's the one where, where Christ actually accomplishes salvation for his people. And I, I like to say this sometimes, it kind of, I think the only consistent um, hypothetical, you know, God died for everybody, but you have to make the choice thing. I think the only consistent way you can say that is to be like, well, all of, you know, kind of the, the Pelagian view, essentially, all of mankind's sins are paid for, but it's up to you now. You have to make the right choices. Um, you know, it's also, it's kind of, it's kind of like every other religion there is, you know, you got Roman Catholicism, well, die, Christ died for you, but you've got to go to Mass every Sunday, you've got to do these obligations, you've got to do this, you got to do that, and which is no different than, um, than Islam, you've got to, hey, you've got to do the Hajj, you've got to pray five times a day, you've got to do the fast, you got to do all this, it's, it's still the same never-ending treadmill of works righteousness. 
And I think that kind of undercuts the perfection of Christ's atonement. It undercuts, like you were saying, propitiation. It undercuts, um, <clears throat> you know, the extent of the atonement. It kind of, it's kind of, it's like a domino effect, right? I find that's the case with a lot of scripture too. Like even, you know, even the doctrine of the Trinity is touched by the atonement. Susan, what, you know, if you say, well. Um, <clears throat> if you say that the atonement of Christ isn't really unique because these reasons, well, okay, well, are you saying, you know, like what we talked about earlier this morning, well, the reason that Christ, Christ's atonement is perfect is because it's unique. It's because he's God and man. He's, you know, the hypostatic union. He is, you know, he can, deli- he can deliver us from God's wrath and deliver others. You know, it's, it's and be God at the same time. It's kind of like mind-blowing, you know, whereas no other sacrificial system has that. (coughs) 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 Excuse me. (coughs) I'm going to close with a time of prayer. That's all right. (coughs) I could ever talk more. (coughs) Dear God, I come before you today and... uh, I want to thank you for this wonderful time of discussing just how wonderful your your atonement for our sin is and how perfect it was, Lord, and that you, your son, uh, an attorney passed, did decree to save uh, to save the people for yourself. Um, it's kind of uh, it's humbling, Lord. It's it's mind blowing, and we just thank you for giving us this opportunity to learn about it and just touch on it, even though there's just so much more we could talk about. It. Just how deep and rich your word is, Lord. Uh, <clears throat> thank you for letting us have this time together. Thank you for giving us uh, <clears throat> your word. I want to ask that you bless this time of worship that we have. And I want to thank you for uh, just protecting us and living, letting us live in a place where we could gather and openly teach us, Lord. I want to pray that as, uh, as the persecuted church meets either around the world, either today or other times, Lord, you would be with them and open the riches of your word to them as well, Lord. Amen.